What's up, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Falcons Final Whistle podcast presented by Zaxby's. I'm Scott Baer alongside Tori McElhaney and Taryn Walk, and we're coming to you after a 9-7 to Panthers victory over the Atlanta Falcons at Bank of America Stadium in Week 15 in a rain-soaked affair um, and one that ultimately the Falcons in what we've talked about several times, made too many critical mistakes at the exact wrong time and ultimately ended up losing a game that they expected to and probably should have won. And it was a big one considering that this loss was paired with a victory by the New Orleans Saints and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So they fall behind the NFC South in this um, one game down in the standings. They also find themselves behind in several of the primary tiebreakers. So before we get into the context of the NFC South and some of these ever some of these other overarching themes, if I can say that correctly, what are immediate takeaways after a game where the Falcons don't allow a touchdown end up losing on a Eddie Pinero field goal from 25 yards out as time expired? Um I'll go first. I think that this game was Kind of everything that I thought it was going to be going into it. You knew that it wasn't going to be high scoring. You knew it was going to be a slog. You knew it was probably not going to be a pretty game just from start to finish, just knowing that it was cold and wet and gross. But at the end of the day, I still went into this game expecting the Falcons to beat a 1-12 Panthers team. I even said that this team, this Falcons team, needed not just to win this game, but I think to like build up confidence after the loss from the Bucks, they needed a decisive win. They needed a win that they took the lead at the beginning. They held on to the lead and there was never a doubt from the first quarter to the end of the game in the fourth quarter that they were going to win this game. That was my hope and expectation for this team going into it. And that is not at all what we saw. And I think that there should be levels of frustration and there what there is levels of frustration coming out of the locker room. We talked to a lot of guys in the locker room after the game where they talked about that frustration. They talked about this, that disappointment. They talked about the fact that they expected to come in and win this game, even with the weather, even with the conditions, even with the injuries that have accumulated on the offensive and defensive line. But still that, expectations I'm at the point now where I'm tired of the word expectations I feel like I've written that word so much in the last couple of weeks that it's just kind of like I'm almost done using it because for the last few weeks month and a half however long I keep talking about these expectations that I had for this team and before the season started and they haven't reached it the way you feel about the word expectation is how I feel about like a must win game. Cause I know before the Buccaneers game last week, I was like, they need to win this one. They got to notch three wins in a row for their confidence to keep the hold of the NFC South and even expand the gap. Then they lost that one. So then going into this one, knowing that they just lost the conference one, it was kind of like, they need to win this one. This is a one in 12. Sorry to keep twisting that Panthers dagger, but like it was a one in 12 team. They needed to win this to like stay in it and not fall behind. Because it's also, that's a, this is a tough pill to swallow. Because, like, I want to say the weather was a factor, but then we saw them pull off a win in New York where it was rainy also and very crummy and even colder there. So it's like I, both teams have to deal with the conditions. So it is yeah. what it is there. But 1-12 team, they didn't allow a touchdown, and they still lost. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think that 
so many of the words that we're using in week 15, Tori brings up a good point, expectations and must win. And we can add so many others, right? Critical mistakes we use a lot. Um, you know, missed you opportunities, know, missed opportunities, all those things we use a ton and they're all appropriate <laughs> words, but the repetition I think has come to define where this team is at right now. It's those things that keep cropping up. It's those things that the Falcons have been unable to get beyond. Um, Arthur Smith was asked about inconsistency and he essentially said, that's something that we've been trying to eliminate all season long, the inconsistency and that the turnovers are the biggest problem with it. Going back to the Texas game, how many other games, right? Could they overcome the critical mistakes or could they not overcome them? Because the critical mistakes were there. Yeah. Except for the first two games, really. And ultimately that has been the trend of the season. And when you make these types of big time errors, often in areas in critical areas, right? Uh, Desmond Ritter, just as an example, just because I was looking over those numbers. Um, and thanks to Taryn for pulling up stats. She's so good at stats and they come so quickly. It's amazing. Um, uh, <laughs> Stathead.com should just employ her uh, because she's mastered their system. Anyway. No, then uh, they'll take her from us. We don't oh, want wait. Her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Never mind. Ignore us pro football reference. Uh, but so Desmond Ritter... <laughs> Did I just get fired? Has committed. <laughs> no, definitely not. We need you more than ever. Um, so Desmond Ritter has committed five turnovers this season in the red zone. He's also committed two other turnovers within the Falcons 20 or closer to the end zone. So those are a lot of those types of high impact turnovers. We've and we've all gone over all those numbers about turnovers that, that that lead to points and set them back and create easy scores. And in a game of, and I'm going to bring it back to this game, in a game of field position where you, you need to play mistake-free football, when there is a conservative game plan that does make sense, it's about who makes fewer errors and who can win the battle of field position to create easy opportunities. Ultimately, that's what happened. But the one thing that I do want to bring up, and I'm not sure if I'm going in order of the script now, but Desmond Ritter throws an interception late. That was the turning point in this game. But they were at the Carolina five with yeah. seven-ish minutes to go. And then the Panthers marched all the way down the field and set up a position where they could kick a field goal as time expired. That's what the fourth time that the defense has allowed a fourth quarter uh, touchdown that was decisive. What do we make points. of a team? Yeah, points. Thank you. Yeah. What do we make of a team of a unit that is talented, has weathered some injuries, and yet has become less effective in it, like in like in crunch time? I have a tough time wrapping my head around that one. I had two thoughts during that, where it's like you mentioning the turnovers. It's not even like the Panthers were doing well at forcing turnovers this season. They were ranked last in the NFL with only nine up until this week so you had two in one game from a team that had given nine through double digit other games 14 15 whatever week we're in yeah. and then the second part with that when it comes to the defense it's just like that drive was 17 plays which according to the panthers pr was the longest drive in their history for 90 wow. yards which was their longest drive this season so it's just like I don't know. 17 plays. <laughs> wow. Big pause at that moment. Yeah. I I think for me with this defense, I go back and forth too. It's something that I have a hard time like weighing in my head this 
this defense because this defense a lot of times is so good and so solid for three quarters. And then for some reason in the fourth quarter, when they absolutely have to have a stop in four games, they haven't gotten it. And those four games they lost. And so it's, it's hard for me to kind of sit here and be like really happy or as happy as I could with this defense, because this is still a, a defense that, I mean, for three games has not allowed a touchdown against opponents. Like in that, that's kind of a crazy stat in and of itself in the NFL. Yeah. And so I, I just like, don't know. I have like this weird love, hate relationship. I feel like with the defense where I'm like, I love watching them play. I love watching Calais Campbell get after it. I, I really enjoyed Jesse Bates, like just as a player getting to watch him and, you know, you see guys like Arnold Ebiketti and Zach Harrison and Taquan Graham kind of coming into their own. And, you know, I, but then the, it's it it doesn't matter if if they're not winning games. Like, what does any of this matter? Right, yeah. What does any of this matter if the Falcons aren't winning games? And that was actually something that I asked Arthur Smith in last week. I asked him, I was like, because he was talking about like these individual individual progress that he sees from specific players or specific units. And I asked him, I was like, how do you weigh in your head the fact that there is individual progress, but there are losses that affect the long-term plan? Like, how do you weigh that in your head? And I, I mean, I don't have an answer to that because the ultimate goal is to win games and to build something sustainable. Have the Falcons done that to this point? I don't know. And it's so weird it's because too, how much it's changed. I was yeah. just going to bring that up 100%, right? It's because changed. early on, you felt like this defense stood up for the offensive struggles at times and really did things, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, what is they teeter tottered, right? So what is what's flipped? I mean, I, nobody's using injuries as an excuse, but does wearing down depth, does depleting their rotations have an impact? Or is it just going back to what I think? I think Taryn has mentioned a few times in writing where is it a confidence play at some point where all of a sudden it's kind of drifting in the opposite direction. I think that's a complicated thing to weigh out, but it it is something that has changed over the course of the season. We talk about so many things remaining the same, the same issues. Well, this is a relatively new one, but it's ultimately cost them four games. And you look at a couple of those victories, it's take a proper angle and you maybe win two of those games against Minnesota and Arizona, a 17 play drive. That, that, that's something that late can't happen. The weird thing. Um, I don't know if this is a full circle moment or if that's not the right usage of it, but it was something that we were talking about actively in the press box and something that uh, Tori wrote about um, in her post game takeaways is that if you look at what happened there in Charlotte, on Sunday. And then you look at what happened in Charlotte last year mm-hmm. in no- November of 2022. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are look, it's not exactly the same situation, but there are some striking parallels to where you can probably, if the Falcons don't make the playoffs and it's a long shot for them to do so, you could probably at the end of the year in 2022 point back to at Carolina in the rain and say that was a real turning point. And you could probably look if and you might be able to do that in 2023 and say maybe that was a real turning point there as well. 
Yeah, I couldn't help but like as the rain is pouring down and remembering back to that Thursday night game in November 2022 and there were just so many moments where I was just like this feels exactly like how that game felt. Like we were in the press box for that game. We were in the press box for this Sunday's game and it, they felt similar. I mean, heck, I even went back and watched some plays from that 2022 game while we were waiting to get on the flight to come back to Atlanta on Sunday night and I mean, they're even wearing the exact same uniforms, like both teams. It just felt like such a, the, I mean, with the rain and the, it was so crazy to me, almost like a, I don't even know, like an out of body experience where you're watching this and you're like, didn't I already watch this? And like, even to the point, and I went back and looked at this because this was what was so crazy as I was in my post-game story, I was comparing the play that I know a lot of people on Twitter probably remember of Marcus Mariota rolling out to his right, getting tripped up. And when he's falling, he throws the ball as he's falling and it gets picked off. Well, he was ruled down. So it really, it, it ended up not being an interception just was a sack. It was like a loss of six. And then comparing that to what we saw Desmond Ritter do on that interception where he rolls out to his left is, is under duress is escaping pressure he gets tripped up too, regains his footing, and then throws an interception. And it, it, even looking at the words that they chose to speak after the game when they were asked about those specific moments, literally a year and a month apart, it was striking to me. Marcus Mariota said in November 2022 after that game that he got in trouble and he hurt the team because he was trying to do too much. Desmond Ritter, after this game on Sunday, says – it, almost in the exact same way, I was trying to make a play. I tried to do too much. Like, the fact that those are two things that happen in this place with the rain, with the implications of the postseason, with the quarterback. I mean, it. maybe I'm making something out of nothing, but I can't, like, look at that and not just, like, put a, like, parallel line. I feel like I'm in – y'all know on Sherlock where, like, the guy has all of the different, like <laughs> – red ties that's like tying everybody together that's legit how this made me feel i swear yeah uh, we're As all nerds who... and we all and we all know yeah <laughs> I, I didn't get that reference but i too am oh nerd, so. two out of three ain't bad um <laughs> yeah but but i was also there uh last year and this year and there were some striking parallels and of course i, I think tori and i even said like the only difference is that it's a night that, it was a night game before that, that it was night game last time but it was one of those things where I think that Atlanta was in slightly more dire straits when it came to the postseason, as it was this time. But as much as the players and coaches don't want to and aren't scoreboard watching, we're sitting there with a bunch of TVs and internet access, and we're watching Tampa Bay surge ahead and New Orleans um, get hot. And then you start to see the magnitude of these two games, and you think back. I think our Arthur Smith even made reference to what a change has happened in the outlook of, I don't think he was referring to the outlook, but what a change over the course of eight days that you go back eight days ago and you're talking about creating separation in the division while you're sitting on top. And then after that, you're thinking about being behind in the standings and the tiebreakers. And it feels so much different yeah. over the course of games that look, the, oh, I almost used the word expectation. Mm. Not uh, gonna do it, but people, I on think, the pod, people on the pod can make it a drinking game, right? Oh man, Lord. <laughs> don't drive after this one, or don't 
do that while you're driving. Um, either way, yes. <laughs> Neither. Way. Don't do any of that. Don't None do any of that. that. Forget uh, I said anything. <laughs> there were definitely parallels, especially with those late turnovers that were so impactful. And look, we're getting ready to talk about Desmond Ritter. And it's therefore only fair to bring up that while his, his turnover count isn't of the same magnitude, is that Bajan Robinson put the ball on the ground. He's lost three fumbles, often in space. And that's another one of those types of situations where if you're going to be a feature back, those types of things can't happen. Full stop, period, the end. Tyler Algier is as ball secure as anybody. I think they needed Bajan Robinson to make a surge. They were playing conservative, running on a third and medium long-ish, and he loses the like the like ball there. And then Desmond Ritter loses the ball where – I I watched that play, I don't know, 20 times on a constant loop so I could get a good picture of it for my story. I know Tori did the same thing. I'm sure all Falcons fans have played it over in their head. And as he's coming around, he does have the edge. And um, uh, Kadero Hodge makes a decent enough block where he can get back to the line of scrimmage or make a minimal gain, and it's third and nine maybe, and then you live to fight another day, and then you kick a field goal. That's the ultimate goal. And it changes the way that you have to defense it. And I think that's why, and also if you look at the play, he's going to the edge, he's going to the left sideline. Kyle Pitts is very well covered near the left sideline. Drake is too far out of the play. He would have had to go across his body and uh, Cordero Patterson was around the end zone. Right. And, but there were two defenders in front of him. So, (laughs) right. So the, 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 trajectory and velocity was never getting to CP. And even when Desmond was asked about kind of what he had seen and what, like where he was going, I think he just, he was trying to make a play and ultimately that uh, worked against them there. And he said, he was like, I was trying to make a play. And he, I mean, he said exactly. He was like, you know, in that moment, I have to either keep it and just run it or throw the ball away and live to fight another down was, was kind of what he said. Right. And that's and, true. That's what that was. But he did not find another down. No, that was that was it, especially because they went on a seven, the Panthers went on a 17 play drive. And look, there's yeah. going to be plenty of opportunity after this season is over to for the three of us to really dive into the Falcons long-term quarterbacks like situation. I don't think we're gonna we're, 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 rewind. I don't think we're gonna come to any conclusions right now, but I do think that after 10 interceptions. And 10 fumbles, most of them lost. The critical down situations that we've talked about all season long, there, there, are, there is some uncertainty at the position. Um, Arthur Smith was asked because the, the plan after bringing Desmond Ritter back to the starting spot was that he would have the starting spot the rest of the way. That's not to say that he won't, but Desmond Arthur Smith was specifically asked about it, and he said nothing is set in stone. They have to evaluate, just like all other questions about personnel. You have to find a way we need to win. So there is some uncertainty at quarterback, um, and I think that that's a fair level of uncertainty. Now, what you do moving forward over the next three games is up in the air, but I think Desmond Ritter has played 16 games as a starter now, one more, and he's gone through a full season. And I don't think that there's an absolute, yes, he's the guy. And I don't think it's a hundred percent. No, necessarily. It could be got to bring in somebody to compete, but I definitely think uncertainty reigns when it comes to the quarterback spot. Jake Matthews was asked about the confidence in Desmond Ritter after the game in the locker room. And he said completely like he fully trusts in Ritter's 
abilities and like his leadership and whatnot. So like there's at least a stability, it seems, among the offense itself. But then you think of the flip side in the Panthers locker room where Brian Burns is over there saying we won because we capitalized on the uh, Falcons offensive mistakes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And particularly calling out Desmond Ritter's play. Yeah, that was that was a tough call out. Right. And so I, I think like it's tough because I think what Scott said in his column after the game was really true. Like, I do think that Desmond Ritter has done some good things, but at this point in time, it's like, do the, does the bad outweigh the good? And, and it it makes you wonder kind of where the Falcons do go from here, because I mean, I don't want to get like too far into like talking about the draft or free agency or anything like that, because we're, we're not there yet. But these are questions that they have to answer. Since the, since the moment that Matt Ryan was sent to the Colts, this has been a question. What will the Falcons do long-term for a starting quarterback or a franchise quarterback? What is the plan here? And we are now going into year four of this regime. And it's like, that's a major question, if not the question that I have about this, this team. Yeah. And I think when you, and there's going to be so much time to talk about and evaluate the assets that they have available. So let's just wrap this one up with the NFC South standing. As we've already said, every, every other team in the NFC South won except the Falcons. They've now lost three games. No, I'm sorry. They've lost two games within the uh, division and this one because tiebreakers are division record and with a multiple team obviously head to head and with a multiple team tie it goes to an N- nfc record the falcons lost both the nfc south game and you know duh and nfc game as well especially with tampa and new orleans winning in previous seasons and when we mentioned this before we've gotten to later latter portions of the year and the falcons needed to win and get some help well, before the Tampa Bay game, they just needed to win and take care of their business. Lost that game, and then it became essentially a three-way race for who can finish the best, the Bucks, the Saints, or, or the Falcons. Now the Falcons are behind the eight ball in that race as well. And look, they still have life. That was one thing that was continually said, but I think that we can all admit that this was a significant setback. It's turning more into long-shot territory than it was previous to these eight days and it's going to take another one of those win a bunch and get help but going back to the expectation thing that's not an expectation that that we can set and have until the falcons can you know prove it Calais was talking about how like they need help now and it like goes back to what tori was saying about the eight day window kind of being like a roller coaster of emotion um because before they were in control and now they need help and he was like we just got to do our best and hope the help comes along the way because yikes. Yeah. And to go from being comfortable to possibly expanding the lead to losing the lead and being backward all within a week's a time. Weeks, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's tough. Like, yeah, it is, I mean, it is a mental thing. You have to wonder how they're going to go into this week with practice. And then also a home game. I think it's a good, it's a home game, but still like, that's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. You have three games left in the season and your best bet is to win out and to hope that someone else, i.e. the Saints and or the Bucks, lose at some point. So 
for that, it's like you to go from kind of feeling like you have almost like autonomy over what you're doing and your potential for the playoffs and your potential for the postseason to have that autonomy to feel like it, you like whatever you do is in your hands and like you decide your your future and your postseason to no longer have that and Taryn exactly like what you said and for it to swing so quickly is something that this I, I, I think this organization has not experienced even in the conversations of the last few years of like kind of hanging around in the conversation, but they had like they had the title and yeah, they had it if they went out and beat the Bucks, if they went out and beat Carolina, if they went out and beat the Saints at the end of the year. Like that's that's what you want. You want you want that, and that's something that again at the beginning of the year it was it kind of felt like NFC South champions or bust. Mm-hmm. So that's just. That's just where, I mean, I'm. I, these guys in the locker room, they want to win. I feel like I'm not saying anything that they wouldn't say themselves no. either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they want to win. They want to finish strong. But I, I think that it 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 is a change of mindset from those of us who are observing is that, is that, okay, is that you no longer kind of have that ultimate control. It's kind of what everybody is saying here, and I think that that's dead right to see their reaction over the course of the next couple of weeks. Um, Indianapolis is coming to town, and they've been pretty tough. They beat Pittsburgh again. They keep surging above and above 500. They're in a playoff race, and they're going to want to win that game. Uh, and then it's at Chicago in a game that should be cold, and then at home against the Saints. So it, it will be interesting to see how the Falcons finish up and what else happens in and around the division. But there's no sense in mincing words. This was a significant setback for the Falcons, especially when everybody else in the division won. So we're going to go ahead and wrap up this edition of the Falcons final whistle podcast presented by Zaxby's for Taryn and Tori. I'm Scott. We will catch you again after the Colts game. Thank you so much for Christmas time. Thank you so much for downloading and listening and subscribing to the Atlanta Falcons podcast network. We will talk to you again next week. See you.